Welcome to episode 16 of Sullivan Street, part two of two of our Across a Wire deep dive. So if you didn't listen to the first part, go back and listen to that on episode 15. We have exciting guests. Jeff Harkness is back. We have journalists, podcasters, and uh, we're having a lot of fun going through one of the most unique live albums of all time, that double album, Kine and Crow's first official live release. It's Across a Wire here on Sullivan Street. Enjoy. Which leaves us to the top five songs, the top half of our rankings, the official set in stone rankings of VH1 Storytellers, Cannon Crows songs. And here we go. I said Anna Begins was the most contentious, uh, and I, you could also argue this one. This is a strange one. Now, I, the most extreme differences. Two people had this as their worst song, I should worst, lowest ranked song on the album, while three of us had it in the top three. Here we go, which is the studio recording addendum of Chelsea. I have comments, but I will pass on my comments and go to Ryan first, who had this as his favorite song on the album. Yeah, I had, I said, put in my notes and I, I might have even said in an email when we were, I was like, is this, is this, are we counting this? Cause this is my number one. Um, but it's, yeah, it's a beautiful studio. It's, again, sounds to me like a studio recording of a recovering the satellites era song, even if we don't know if it was part of the sessions. And the fact that this was a hidden track on the, on this release only kind of made it better for me. And uh, it's just such a beautiful song with the horns in it as well. Uh, and and the 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 building, the way that it builds with with you know when Adam says maybe things are different and just keeps building it and building it. I talked earlier about how I love momentum building in songs, and I just adore this song. And then it, it's, by the way, if, if I hope at some point that you guys on Sullivan Street do a ranking of all the like Counting Crows B sides, like things they've recorded. Yeah, yeah, we uh, and, yeah, we have that. Yep. Yep. We have that yeah, on that, our list. That's that would be that would be awesome because this this would definitely be in there. I mean, like stuff like, you know, baby, I'm a big star now. But but yeah, I I again acknowledging that maybe it's cheating to, to put this as number one. Uh, but yeah, this was this was tops for me on this album. All right, Jeff, let's go to you who had it number 10. <laughs> Which is fine. I mean, it doesn't fit in. So you can say, right. So Ryan could say it doesn't fit in. It's my favorite. And Jeff, you could say it doesn't fit in. It's my least yeah. favorite. Yeah. Well, um, hmm, what can I say about Chelsea? I, I know how much everyone or lots of Karen Crows fans like this song. It's never been a song I thought was very good. From the time I heard it, I was like, nah, you know, I could I just, I never thought it's always sound very under undeveloped. Anytime I hear a horn in a in a rock song, I'm I'm always suspicious. Anyway, it's like a red flag. So to me, I'm like, do we if we take the horn out, does it improve the song or not? Why is this horn here? Is it improving the song? Is it not improving the song? Is it a gimmick? Like, what's with the horn? Um, I think sometimes, sometimes, and I even had some like sub note that I wrote about. 
you know, good rock songs with horns. And I have like, I'm writing like Clarence Clemens, his stuff was really good. And I'm like making notes about what were the good, you know, the rock songs were like the horn, you know, was so in- integral to it. Um, and we could probably think of like many, many versions that, you know, like examples of that. But here I was like, the, the horn is not helping. I was just listening to She Doesn't um, Exist Anymore. Uh, and there's a horn in that song, their, their cover of that. Uh, that's I think really complements the song and is really beautiful and in some ways like similar to the uh, Chelsea, but yeah, to me this song just it felt always felt a little bit underdeveloped. It belongs in that category of black and blue and some of those other like uh, kind of mid-tempo songs from Hard Candy that I, I just thought always were kind of undercooked. But his vocal performance is is nice and it's a nice enough song, but. Yeah, just Chelsea never really did did it, did it for me. Uh, Will, we'll go to I, I had some thought about the horns, but I'll wait until uh, after Chris. Uh, Will, you you also uh, didn't have this <laughs> as your highest, but you know, let's let's hear your thoughts. Yeah, so I absolutely not only had this at number ten, it was <laughs> the first of the the ranking. Like before, I even had to look at the track list to see where anything else went. In. I was like, oh, we're doing Chelsea, end of the line. <laughs> um, so. I'll start by saying, like, I absolutely love a good 90s hidden track, like like Euro Trash Girl by Cracker, incredible song, Your House by Alanis, Lauren Hill, like her cover of Frankie Valley's Can't Take My Eyes Off You, off Miss Education Lauren Hill. This song feels so wildly out of place on this double album, especially on the cohesive storytellers disc, because in essence, at the end of disc one is in the middle of, (laughs) you know, the collection that its existence like is almost bothersome to me within that context. The song itself, you know, totally okay. I love the smoky jazz club uh, vibe of that, like piano and horn. And, um, and I do, you know, Adam's voice is always great, especially this is his sort of like hushed, weary vocal tone that I call um, Saddam Duritz. Uh, I, I love it when he kind of gets into this <laughs> Saddam vocal. But I would have much rather have seen this. I, I've got a, um, they didn't put it out in the States, but they put out in the UK a uh, single of Mr. Jones from from Across a Wire. And I would have loved to, I should have pulled it out. Um, I would have loved to have seen it as a B-side on that import single. Because it had it had Mr. Jones and Angels of the Silences from the Storyteller set, and then that like you know ten minute almost ten minute version of Round Here from the Ten Spot. I would have loved to have seen it as a B side on that single, and I probably would have enjoyed it or experienced it more. But where it's at in this album always feels like such a parking break to me, just within the context of the album. It keeps me from being able to like give it its due as an individual song. <laughs> so 10 okay. with a bullet. <laughs> all right, Chris, what, what about you? Thoughts See, on Chelsea? I, I, so I have this number two. First of all, I feel the way it fits perfectly in this record is in the midst of two shows recorded in New York City, there's a song that, yeah. about New York City, right? And specifically about the the architecture of New York and the way that makes Adam feel and particularly again in the context of sort of across a wire I think it's a very it's a a very sort of evocative of that 
I'm a horn fan, Jeff. I got to tell you, I like horns. <laughs> and in particular, I think there's this is a, a genre of songs that are sort of, I think, underappreciated or maybe not, depending on your perspective on them. But I kind of lump this with Miller's Angels, which we'll talk about more later on in this episode, I'm sure. And also like Good Luck, which is another sort of, you know, sort of discarded song from this time. But there's this like kind of beautiful arranged like piano ballad thing that I actually think is really something I really like from the band. And I think is distinguished from sort of where they get to in Hard Candy with that kind of stuff. There's a certain type of song, again, that, that only exists in this period uh, for some reason that I I really like. And I just think it's a, I'm a beautiful take. Actually, I will say one of my, um, I'm sure we will talk about Goodnight Elizabeth in great detail at some point in an episode of this podcast. I think one of my favorite versions of Goodnight Elizabeth has uh, Chelsea as an alt. And that's, and that's a part of the interesting thing. This song has like a, is a very, like it was used as an alt once. I don't think, I think it's just once. Maybe if it's one or two, I maybe there's one I'm forgetting. It also pops up on that, um, orchestra show they did in 2005 which has never really been released and um but there are quietly uh bootleg versions that have floated around and that's a there's a it beautifully sort of lends itself i think to that sort of orchestral arrangement too i i i I love the song i had it high i'm with i'm with you ryan it's a great song I, I had it high uh, as well. Not not as high as the three of you. So I guess we'll have our horn tangent now, which I did not necessarily plan for ahead of time. But thanks to Jeff. Uh, I believe, And I had to look up. I had to try to verify while you were talking. But I believe and uh, Reddit says it. So it must be true. But no, I think that the horn player is Andre Carter, who played, I think, all the horns in the studio versions of the Crows, which would be, and Jeff, the one you were thinking of is Carriage, right? When you were talking about mid-tempo, like Black, so I think he plays the the horns in Carriage and Chelsea and the more recent Angels of 14th Street from Butter Miracle. And um, does he also pretty, play the horn on um, on Palisades Park? That, uh, oh, the, yes, yes, yeah. I think I assume so. it's all him. He's Adam's buddy, right? And they're yeah. friends and every time. He, I think he's he New shows Orleans up occasionally guy. on like live records too. Yeah, in New Orleans. Yeah, guy. so I think is that, it, and it might, it, it is good. does Good Luck have horns, uh, Chris? Made it because uh, it might, yes, yeah, it might have, it yes, does. and I think he plays it there. Now, this person on Reddit said that they were recorded at the same time, whenever that was, Chelsea and Good Luck. So, I'm not sure oh, that, yeah. year that was. <laughs> um, so I thought you had, yeah, heard that or something. Drawing the but, comparison um, makes sense. Well, they sound they're very similar sounding songs, they're sort of yeah. a similar vibe yeah, to them. That's right, yeah. I, I'm always, um, I guess I'm always for, I, I almost didn't want this one included because I'm always a sucker because that this is a new song, and I was like, well, this is a new Counting Crow song song and i really like it so i almost wanted to put it number one i ended up putting it number three for reasons i'll talk about when we get to the other two it is though funny jeff and one the one thing lyrically i i I guess i agree with you even though i love love this song i do think it's not fully developed and maybe why it didn't uh both i think yeah maybe the the song could have oh one interesting side note about the song though is that which i was kind of surprised that four people get writing credit so not only Duritz, but Bryson, Charlie Gillingham, and Matt Malley, which kind of shocked me. To me, this was an Adam by himself song. <laughs> but it's interesting because I think the lyrics like include like some of 
maybe not the best and and ones I really like. So so the ones like, you know, I don't know, you know, all this shit just sticks in my head. I was like, yeah, you know, maybe he would change. Maybe he would improve that. Lyric. There's a couple lyrics. I was like, maybe he could improve. But I agree with you, Chris. I think spending the fact that I lived in New York in my 20s, I I kind of got the feeling about how the buildings in Chelsea could move him and not that uh, anyway, but just something about how certain architecture of certain parts of the city can make you feel nostalgic, uh, whether it's, and I, and I did like his, I mean, I am, I'm a sucker for Adam's um, optimism and pessimism, like in the same line, you know, like, so like, Hey, do you think things will be better maybe in a month or two? And, but probably not, but maybe it's like, is it, but it's, but it's kind of ambiguous. Cause he's like, it always could be better. But I kind of doubt it will be. And I think I see that, you know, possibility days have kind of that theme. So anyway, I have Chelsea number three, but I can understand why people had it lower. I'm okay with that. Not personally offended. Let's go to the top four. Here we go. This is it. Yeah, I I will uh, let people come. So number four is a song that one person had as their favorite and then the rest of us kind of had in the middle-ish, and that's how it ended up in number four, which is Rain King. And uh, I guess in that case, I will start with Will, who had it as his favorite song from this uh, album. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So, so yeah, I, I, I put Rain King as number one. I feel like the reason that I put it at number one, the, the criteria I was working with, uh, I feel like that this version of Rain King sort of encap- encapsulates like within a single performance, almost everything that I think is, is unique uh, of what I love about Counting Crows. You've got an incredibly rich vocal performance, this sort of spacious acoustic electric instrumental interplay with each other, this amazing ability to reinvent their own songs. Um, There's a non-album alt section with that, you know, every little big fish part. They pull in elements of, other songs with the little goodnight Elizabeth reference at the end. And all of that happens in like under six minutes. And I'll I'll say, I also put it as number one because I think it has the best background vocals of the night. There's a couple other places where Charlie is more prominent, but his, his vocals are kind of off to me in some sections. Like I've heard him sing much better than he does in the storyteller's performance, except for on rain King, the vocals, yeah, are the best. So, yeah, I think it's just there's there's so many there's so many great things and so many unique things about what they do well in this version of ranking, especially if you play it back to back with the, you know, the August version. So, all right, great. Let's go. Let's go to Ryan. This is a tough one for me because I I would say I mean. Uh, Rain King might be my favorite Counting Crows song overall because it it just doesn't matter how it's arranged. We've heard it a number of different ways over the years, and I I just love them all. This was the first time that I had heard it acoustically like this, or or at least arranged differently than the album or just a straight-ahead electric version in concert. And it just blew me away then, and listening back for the the exercise of, of coming into this podcast to to rank these, it, it blew me away now. And, you know, it's only, it's only at five because the, the, the other one, well, the other three, and then I had Chelsea as number one for me. So the, the three other proper storytellers songs, I just, just blew me away more. So I, 
I love Rain King in all forms, very much including this form. Jeff, let's go to you. Yeah, I think Rain King, I agree, is one of their very best songs. Just like the studio version is a 10 out of 10 absolute classic song. And so that's what you're up against. You know, even your live version has to compete with that. And and that's hard to do. And this is where it comes back to what I was saying earlier about, you know, what is a live album? And And to me, like a song like this, the arrangement of this is always going to be a very cool compliment to the actual studio version itself. As much as I like this version and I like the way that they have rearranged it and I think it's so cool. It's always going to be secondary uh, to that better to me studio version only because the studio version is like a stone cold 10 out of 10 classic song and and it's hard to compete with that. So I I really I like their arrangement here. I don't uh, I, I don't like it as much as some of the other rearrangements which is why I didn't rank higher. I also I thought this one has the best introduction or story in the storytelling um, where he talks about um, him being the rain king and and it sort of being a metaphor for letting his creativity um, you know free and and to soar and and sort of that anyone can can do that and whatever they want to do I think that I, I just really appreciated what the song mean, means to him I guess and so I hear it a little differently in that regard too so yeah, I liked it. I, I thought it was good. I want to crowbar no, in real quick, just that uh, years and years ago, I went and got and read Saul Bellow's Henderson, the Rain King, <laughs> because I love this song so much. And I ended up really <laughs> loving the book. Right. Oh, that's right? that's great. Now, Jeff, I'm, I'm glad to get because you you were not on our August episode. So I'm actually appreciating your takes on some of these songs that you didn't get a chance to uh, mm-hmm. say uh, in an earlier episode. Uh, Chris, we'll go to you. So I had this number four, and this is hard for me. This is because this is my favorite Counting Crow song. This is definitely my favorite Counting Crow song, and I think this arrangement of it is spectacular. I think I would, generally speaking, take acoustic Rain King over electric Rain King, and I think where this one lost out over just a couple of other things is specifically that they've done this song so many times, and I think have hit they hit higher heights with this song after. Like the alt in the middle is okay, but I feel like there's a lot more. I do love, I always love when they drop the Goodnight Elizabeth thing in the end because the way those two songs interconnect, I think is, again, very sort of foundational for the, what I love about the band and the way those two songs, the emotional things that come out of them really like con- connect for me. Um, and it was interesting listening back because I was like, man, you know, oh, I've, I've heard this version. It's like, well, actually, no, no, no. This probably is really where they're bringing or at least refining the arrangement that they were going to use that they still use if they play Rain King acoustic, which it's it's been a little bit since they've done that, but they did for you know twenty years regularly after they recorded this. Um, and I think yeah, it's just where my brain goes to like, oh man, this is good, but what about that version from Hammerstein in two thousand four and this version from you know Denver in two thousand ninety nine? It's like that's I think that sort of was the only thing kind of holding me back on this one, but I think beautiful amazing arrangement yeah m- mine is i guess similar to I, i'm not gonna add too much i had it at number six except to say that this is to me the definition not definition but a very uh, typical example of almost what i don't because i didn't think i heard any of the songs in ahead of time if i'm trying to think back back then i i don't think i saw storytellers and i don't think i'd heard anything until buying the disc so when i saw the track list this was almost what i expected to hear 
like I thought it was awesome, but I was like, ah, this sounds like an acoustic version of Rain King. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> where the other three that we didn't get to yet, and I'm glad that they're in the top three, because those mm-hmm. three all blew me away in ways that like uh, that this one didn't, because I'm like, whoa, what the heck is this? And this is amazing. So so yeah, and of course Chelsea, right? Well, or, or you know, it's kind of random, but uh okay, good. So now we are say, into those. Yeah, please. Oh, just one tiny little tag at the end uh, to piggyback off Chris's point. I, I do love, you know, Goodnight Elizabeth, Anytime, Adam. It, it seems like that song or references to that song or specific lines from that song, he can just sprinkle into anything they do. Like they could cover the Macarena and I think he could figure out a way to <laughs> sprinkle in some Goodnight Elizabeth. But I always love it when it's in ranking because of the whole like, Goodnight Elizabeth has the King of the Rain line. Oh, and right. so if you throw in Goodnight Elizabeth into Rain King, it makes this like really nice complimentary. It's like, yeah, you can throw it in anywhere and it sounds great, but it always just fits a little extra nice uh, inside of Rain King as well because of the reference uh, to Rain King in Goodnight Elizabeth. So, All right, great. Good. And let's go to the top three. And, and it just got me thinking too, although I had round here number eight, I guess also being, and I'll say this why I'm bringing this up again, that that if it really is the pared down, right, maybe I was surprised that round here was only going to be him and Dave, but once you hear that, I guess, again, also that song, I'm like, okay, this is an acoustic version of, of round here. And then we get the track two, which is Have You Seen Me Lately, and that's our number three. And that's, I guess, when I knew that, boy, this is a, a special disc. Now, I had it number four, but it's only because I had Chelsea at number three and, the, and, the, and a couple ones higher. Uh, none of us had this higher than three hmm. but none of this none of us ranked this low at all two 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 did have it number six but nobody had it in that bottom third i i'll, I'll let you guys talk about this I, I just think that that this is a great version and it and it blew my expectations away and a song that i love both versions of the the acoustic and the uh, hard version ryan let's go to you the uh, the version of this, the electric version on Live from the Ten Spot is incredible. The album version of this is is so good. This is uh, if I had been on your your RTS ranking, is this I, maybe RTS? It would have been very high for sure. Well, and we had and have you seen me lately? Was actually the group consensus number yeah. one song from that album. So. And, 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 yeah, I'm not sure I would have detracted from that, and if I had been <laughs> had my rankings in there, it's it is just awesome and. And this this one kind of this one was tough for me to place. Um, it's just again, it's that thing where ultimately I had a couple of these other ones that that we're going to talk about, which I guess I'm glad. Then that means you guys all felt the same way about these these last couple that we're going to get to as I did. But yeah, have you seen me lately? Is is just a I, I love this song so much, and I just think for me the I do love this acoustic arrangement, but. I, I hold the electric version, both studio and and live versions of, in extremely high regard, and so I think that's that's what landed this uh, at number six for me on on this particular album. All right, great, uh, Jeff. Let's go to you. Yeah, I mean, basically the same thing. I had it at number six also, and kind of for the same reason. As much as I enjoyed this version. With the stripped down band, I mean, this is the one that has just Adam, Charlie, and Dave. So it felt almost a little thin, even in the acoustic format. Like 
they could do so, you know, do so much with a song like this now with all of the different instruments that they can add to it and the sort of different colors that they bring in. Um, but this to me is one of their great rock songs. We have the rock version on, on uh, the second disc as well. And so to me, I'm, I'm just always going to prefer that, that uh, arrangement and that, that, you know, the rock band playing the, this song. Cause just cause it's one of their best songs that does that, but I enjoyed it here. Uh, I still have some of the reinvented kind of songs that rank higher though. Will. I, I had this one as number three. I it's one of my favorite songs off satellites and, and I do really love this trio version. Uh, not only because they break it down, you know, quantity wise to just three folks, two instruments, but the way they both play the piano and the acoustic guitar, there's almost like no full chords at any point during the song. Like there's so much breath and room in it, which makes it, you know, they're not just taking the tempo down. They're really kind of allowing Adam to go from this almost sort of like quasi manic version of the electric of that vocal to this really like reflective introspective. Like it's one thing to have the awareness of like, "Ah, I'm losing myself. Have you seen me lately? And then there's almost like this reflective pleading of like, Mm. no, seriously, have you, you know? So uh, yeah, I like that it's stripped down both in its, uh, in its quantity and in the quality of the way that they play it. It's really nice. All right, Chris, have you seen me lately? Yeah, I also had this one number three. I, I think the um, to put on what Will said, like the space in the song really allows you to hear it in a way that is unique. And I think I, I, I love that uh, the original version too, but I do think this version really it's almost helpful to hear the original version after hearing this and really being able to feel the way the words and the, and the sentiment kind of comes out of Adam. It kind of makes it all connect. Weirdly, this one actually is appears three times on the record because it's also the Alton round here on the second disc. And it just sort of goes to show like how weird and versatile and like the, the way this song does kind of filter through that era of the band, that feeling that it just it, you can just kind of drop it anywhere and play it at any tempo. They've done arrangements after this, too, where that are sort of between the acoustic and the electric version, too. There's just something about this song we were talking about earlier right that you know, there's they're so good at finding different ways and to, to express this thing and this is one of those songs that just has found a lot of different ways to get you know it's the same words and still recognizable as a song in all these different forms but it just it just sort of works and this was one yeah where the rearrangement really was just it's just kind of devastating relative to the original one you know in terms of how it like feels Great. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I won't, I think all of you said all the things I was thinking. So we'll just go to our top two and, um, and then, and, you know, this is, this is one, well, Jeff screwed up my Chelsea ranking. Uh, but, um, I was going to say this was one of the few times that I almost got, cause I usually have not really had, I mean, I've, I've affected the rankings, but usually my number one, like through three hasn't been, but I've actually number one and two, and I did not uh, cook the books, ended up mine number one and two. And it was weird because they were really hard for me to uh, to do. Th- and actually, I do want to say there was a pretty clear delineation, and we'll get to it in a second, that, that it wasn't like only a one-point difference or whatever. There was a clear number one and number two. So uh, number two would be the uh, acoustic version of the hit song, Mr. Jones. 
So that ended up being number two. It was also mine number two. Chris is number one, and that's why I'm complimenting you, Chris. We were on the same page yeah. on this one, and I could easily put it number one. The rest of the group was – oh, no, Ryan also had it high. Jeff – <laughs> you know, uh, we'll get to Jeff and uh, we'll add it in the middle. I, I guess I'll start with this one because I didn't make comments. You know, it's funny because I, I had Mr. Jones as my favorite song on August. And I think generally the songs that I love, I guess, except have, have you seen me lately? But some songs like Catapult and go, I put lower here because I didn't think it changed enough. But when I heard this for the first time, as I said, it, it just blew me away how haunting. And I really appreciate, Will, what you said about the change between the manic and the inflective inflection from Have You Seen Me Lately? I think you're spot on with that. And there was something similar going on here, right, where where Mr. Jones, the original version, is like this happy op optimism yet he knows what he's getting into but like whatever i'm young and we can be rock and roll stars and now it's like yep it's kind of what i thought it would be and and i quickly uh right now as we're talking i just highlighted and some of these lyric changes which i know you know some people don't like but i love have stayed to this day I guess it's one of them that usually is not, but worth, of course, is the beginning. So you want to be a rock and roll star. Uh, well, listen, listen now to what I say, which is from Jeff. Now I'm forgetting. That's a fan. That's, that's from the another birds. song. The birds. The birds. Yeah. Okay. Called. It's called. Where... So you want to be a rock and roll star. Oh, right. Right. Which <laughs> from the birds. Right. I would not have remembered from the birds. <laughs> But uh, yeah, a couple other lyric change like, yeah, I get so confused every day and we get second thoughts about being a rock and roll star. You should not believe in me. Um, it's just about, as, just about up as up as you up can, up can be. be. Yeah. Yep, yep. And you can hear. And then, of course, with Chris, which I, you know, when you mentioned this earlier, I almost forgot about it. And I was like, what is he talking about? But he brings in the Miller's Angels lyric. Where uh, can't you hear me? I'm screaming because I did not mm -hmm. go outside yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, so let's go to Chris. I don't know for someone that anyway. I just I just remember even one of my friends who doesn't love Mr. Jones. He just kept he couldn't stop here uh, playing this version on repeat when it first got released. This so, might Chris. be my. I was saying this might be my most listened to like Counting Crows track because I I had not bought this record when it came out, and so. As I was sort of getting deeper into the band in like 2001, 2002, as many people did, because this 2001, 2002, I found this version of this song on, I don't even think it was Napster. I think Napster was dead already. I think it was like LimeWire or something. And I listened to it over and over and over again. It's so like, once like you get that feeling in you it's one of those songs where it's his performance adam's performance is devastating the rearrangement if the is so radical and this is where i, I said at the beginning like if you want to test if someone really might love counting crows this is the album to do it the fastest way might just be to play them this version of mr jones and if they go <laughs> fuck that's amazing <laughs> they're gonna be fan. and if they say what the hell is that just tell them to leave and never talk to them again it's it's just so like I, I I like anyone who like tells me they like this version of this song. It's like I'd like like we're gonna be friends, right? We're gonna talk about it. It's, it's so like it, it, again, this is the leap I think to me for this band, and it's interesting that this you know this is kind of the record as Jeff points out where people start to sort of jump off the bandwagon at least critically. And I think part of it is really 
confronting people with what this band is. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of people who like that record or that like the, you know, like August or like recovering the satellites and aren't really, again, just there for the whole thing. But if you listen to this, you know, this is for the heads. This is for the people that are going to be there kind of all the way through. Yeah. I know it's, and this is, again, I think this is, it's, I will say, I, I don't really talk about this, like buying this record, which I don't think I did until like 2002 or three really was the one that made me go, okay, I'm definitely, I'm like all in on this band. This is my favorite band. I'm, I'm positive. This is my favorite band. I'm going to love them forever. I don't even know what a podcast is, but I'm going to host one of those in 20 years. <laughs> you know, this is where like that song and just, I, I'm particularly fond of the, that bit of, of Miller's angels. I think that to me is one of Adam's best lyrics, but it's, Again, I think I think I overrated Miller's Angels on the RTS episode because I love this bit so much. And really, I love that bit in Miller's Angels. I really love it here. Mm. Also, at the end of Perfect Blue Buildings, that's a side conversation we'll get to someday. But yeah, this is ah, this is so good. This is like I, again, this to me might be this might be my favorite Counting Crows track. Great, thank you, Ryan. Let's go to you. I love how you described this as basically a, a Counting Crows super fan litmus test because I think that's <laughs> it's spot on. I had this, you know, this this actually I ended up moving this up on my rankings because I, I I was like, oh, you know, Mr. Jones, the song I've heard, I still love it. I've never gotten tired of it because I'm a Counting Crows super fan. But I'm like, really, like this this is gonna am I gonna put this at the top? And it's like, no, it's like you know maybe then. The, what is going to be our next song? Like I, I had that higher, but no, I can't. I, when I listened back through, through the whole thing again, a second, I was like, no, this version of Mr. Jones is incredible in every way, shape and form. And so I had, this as number two, which is number one on my list of the nine proper storytellers songs. And, you know, again, for me in 1998, I had never heard this song acoustically before so this floored me at the time coming back to it again recently i just think this version still holds up insanely well i think it's the best of these nine song these nine acoustic songs well these nine storytellers songs that are on this album and and yeah like i i just ended up surprising myself with with how much i had i i loved it but and still love it but but yeah this is it's just still, still incredible. Absolutely. And Jeff, let's go to you. Not to be a buzz killer. We will after that. After after these, uh, if these rankings of the best song ever produced. And yeah, right. Now what do I now I come in? I failed yeah. the litmus test once again. Now I the, the this this and Rain King went close to the bottom of my list for the same reason that I think that the studio versions are untouchable. You know, like, how do you compete with a perfect studio version of a song? I agree with what Ryan was saying. Mr. Jones is still a song. I've always loved it. And I still love it today. You hear that. Song. Sometimes <laughs> you hear a song you've heard a million times. I'm like, good God. And even there are some Counting Crow songs like Long December that I could be fine really not hearing too often. But Mr. Jones comes on. I'm still all on board. I love this song. So to me, the the studio version is just going to be better than than um, what you can do. Now, with something like this, I, I was talking earlier about the strategy. Like, what is the strategy of an album like this? And 
partially it's to show how how they can reinvent their material. And in some ways, um, they're so good at doing that. I think Rain King really, even more to this point, it's sort of like, we're just showing you that we can do this. You know, like this hmm. version of Rain King is not better than the studio version. We just wanted to show you how we can flip it, you know, and and take a song like this and, and redo it this way. It almost becomes like a, a parlor trick at, at some point. And I think also we were talking about like Layla is it that version of Layla. I think Will was saying this earlier, like mm. the unplugged version of Layla. And it's like the studio version of Layla. It, uh, the, I mean, my God, the emotion, the pain, like that song is just unbelievable. The unplugged version, you know, it sounds like something you hear on a golf course. And, and so to me, it's like, you know, that song was diminished by its, its unplugged version. To me, it's hard to take a perfect song and then and reinvent it as a as an acoustic version and still give it the power and all of that stuff that it has. And so, to me, uh, as much as I I love these reinventions of like Rain King and Mr. Jones, the the biggest set drawback to me is that they're competing with perfect studio versions. And to me, as a listener, I'm I'm always going to be using it as a ref, that's the reference point. That's that DNA. We as listeners have that same DNA. Like we know these songs so well. The reason that Counting Crows fans, and this is the litmus test for this album, love this album is because we know these songs so well that when we hear them redone, we can understand how radical these reinventions are because we know every note, every single nuance too. So when Adam or the band does something different, we automatically notice it. And and here we can, as fans, appreciate you know just how much they're they're redoing these, and and you know to me that loving the Counting Crows live is central. Like you can't be a Counting Crows fan and not love them live because that's kind of what they are and what they're about. And so here, this whole album is is in some ways like a celebration of that fact. And if you're a fan, you're going to appreciate every single thing that they're doing here because you know how much they're redoing this because you know the songs like as well as they do. All right, rant over. No, that's great. Thank you. And we'll, we'll uh, end uh, the Mr. Jones chat with you. Yeah, I feel like my ranking versus what I'm about to say about it is going to feel a bit contrary to each other. But I put it at number six, not because it was bad or there were things I didn't like about it. But it, it's kind of funny. I, I feel like that I give them props because their ability to find like this new emotional entry point, like you were kind of talking about earlier, the, the original has this sort of like bouncy prophetic optimism of like, I, I understand the bittersweet nature of it, but full steam ahead, you know, and this is the other side of it, which is the like super duper, you know, weary again, sad on vocal of like, <laughs> being able to kind of be like, Oh wait, this is, this is, I knew it was going to be bad, but maybe not ex exactly, you know, or I knew it was going to have drawbacks, but maybe not exactly like this. And so, um, I'm very impressed by all of his, you know, lyrical changes. Nothing, nothing he does ever seems just like weirdly like off the top of his head. Cause that's just kind of what he decided to do in that very moment. It all seems connected to how he's feeling that day, mm. but I really like the instrumental difference because this song, again, the studio version as incredible as it is, it's very like 
you know, electric guitar driven and the drums are pretty heavy. And so I think this is one where Ben's kind of broken down drum set. It really shows why he did that. And the fact that he's being able to play the kick with his hand, you know, he has his kick drum up high because he's standing up and he's playing the kick with his hand instead of that uh, with his foot. So it takes out so much of the drum pulse to it. And then moving the anchor of the song from the electric guitars to an accordion really kind of lets there be not only just more breath for Adam's weariness, but it's a, it's kind of just like a more, it's a more like loopy, airy instrument than kind of the electric guitar driven part. So I love that, like, even in the instrumental choices, it's not just like, you know, oh yeah, we could do this or we could do that, or maybe we could do this. It feels like every single thing it's like. No, the everybody knows this song with electric guitars out front. So both guitars, y'all play acoustic guitars, and then let's put the accordion out front. I mean, you know, mm. apart from Weird Al, who's who's rocking an accordion led song on the radio, you know, but they were able to do it because this one, at least in Atlanta where I grew up, was played on the oh, radio. And th- thanks for bringing yeah. up the accordion. I, I'm sorry I didn't even put that in my notes. I I love it in this song. Yeah. I mean, it's and not an accompaniment. It's like front and center. It's like, hey, guitars, take a step back. You know, let let Charlie have his accordion day in the sun. And as I yeah, yes, it makes sense. Yeah, it, it's beautiful. Well, as I yeah. mentioned to Chris, and we'll talk about it in the next song too. I said I was lo- not. I mean, I Charlie, you know, should be back there with the keyboard. That's where he's best. But I also love to see them on the accordion and the fact that he came out with a couple of songs and mm. at this summer, including the Taylor Swift song. It was just great to see it because it brought me back to these days. And of course, you know, Omaha as well. The other interesting flip instrumentation wise, right, is that this is one we talked about this with Matt Malley. This is one of the on the record. It's one of the only ones we let him play like fretless bass. And here he's playing an upright. So it's a full like wide swing on what like yeah. the, the bottom bottom end of the song sounds like, too. That's and true. Jeff, just to be clear, the, the litmus test is not that you have to love this better. You just have to be fascinated by it and not be held. You know what I mean? Like that's that'd be your favorite. It just it just it has to draw you deeper. You know, I think that's for I think again, for all of us it sounds like this song, this version of the song kind of draws you deeper into it. Yeah. And into the band, you know. So Yeah, Chris, when you were when you were talking about what you liked about the song and I, I or loved about the song and I appreciate it, I, I was thinking I it's isn't it a cliche, right, to call something like hauntingly beautiful? I think I've heard right. <laughs> and that's how but that's how I would describe this version of Mr. Jones, right? Yeah. Well it's, he's haunted, hauntingly, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And even the sound the song sounds haunted. So um I was glad and I almost had I agree with you, Chris. I, I really had this almost number one for a while, and in the end I switched it to what ends up being the overall number one. I was the only person to vote at number one, but all of us, and the reason it ended up number one is that all of us, including Jeff, had it in the top five, which would be Angels of the Silences, the acoustic version. We agreed that this is the top. This is in the top five. And I don't know, even though it's not supposed to cloud our judgment, I'm curious what you'd take. I, I almost think in a way that watching them play it this summer might have moved it up in the tiebreaker. Mm. And I don't know if it's because that the whole band is, is in this one compared to right the couple tracks before that, some of the couple tracks and their harmonies in it is incredible. But I just remember that when I saw it this summer, I, I got the chills. And by the way, one of the, and I think, I guess we all kind of agree. I could be wrong, but the, I think the reason that Angels, Mr. Jones, and Have You Seen Me Lately ended up the top three 
is that because not only the great versions, but it changed so much. Right. And we love both. They feel like two separate songs that are both amazing. So let's go to Ryan for his thoughts about Angels of Silences. Yeah, this, like I said, this, this, I ended up flipping with, with Mr. Jones had this as, uh, as my number two for a bit, but ended up well. And then catapult came in on that, on that final listen through. So it's, it's the strongest number four I could possibly, (laughs) I could possibly say like, even though, Oh, number four, there's three ahead of it, but it's, this is so good. I mean, at the time this song came out again, as the, the lead single ahead of the release of recovering the satellites after I'd, you know, gotten so into this band by listening a thousand times to August and everything after all the way through and, and getting starting to get into bootlegs. And then here comes the lead single from their second album, which is the heaviest song. It's it's way heavier than anything on August and everything after. And it's arguably even to this day, the heaviest song they've ever done. Maybe Cowboys might give it a run for yeah, its maybe, money. Maybe 1492, 1492 and Cowboys, but that's yeah, about it. Yeah, maybe or are the trio, yeah. but um, this this was, so hearing this song torn down to the studs for me was was such a shock, but this it, the, but the song still totally works, which to me makes it such a great song. And I thought, again, coming back to it uh, after a while here, it just, and I did get to hear this acoustically when they came to uh, the Greek theater here in Berkeley on, on this year's tour. Uh, I, I will say, I do prefer the electric version, and uh, I was I I still dream of one day hearing it electric in concert again. One day, I'm not sure yeah. Adam wants to go there vocally anymore. Uh, but the but the uh, acoustic version is just it's an incredible piece of music to me. That's it, it is the polar opposite of the electric version, but I still love it uh, as, for as a as a just a wholly unique take on it. So. Yeah, number four for me, but but adore this. Yeah, th- thank you. And before I go to Jeff, I agree. I'm the same. I-, I always wanted to hear the electric, and I don't think I ever heard it. And I agree with you. I think he's probably doesn't want to go there. Um, but hopefully, maybe maybe we'll hear it at some point. Jeff, let's go to you. Yeah, this was number two for me, and only because Anna Begins is is such a high song on my list. But to me, this version of this song was the realization of what they were trying to do and achieve with this project. This is where they nailed exactly what this was all about, which was a radical reinvention of a 10 out of 10 great song, completely 180 with this new, completely new arrangement, great harmonies where you've taken a great studio song. I keep saying it. And here, mm, this might almost be as good as the studio version when you flipped it in this way. Like you've almost convinced me that this is better. Although I still am not totally convinced than the studio version, but I love this arrangement. I still remember the first time I saw them do this uh, in concert and had never heard like a bootleg or anything. So I, of course, back to the DNA, knew the song inside and out. And I'm like completely mind blown seeing them reinvent this in front of me uh, on stage from like, I was in like the third row or something. It was incredible. So I think I've said before, I always see Angels of the Silences and Have You Seen Me Lately as sort of these companion songs or like sister songs. They're very similar to me in some ways. To me, this was a much more successful reinvention of Angels of Silences than the Have You Seen Me Lately, which was good, but not this good. Uh, So I love this. I thought this was what they were trying to like achieve with this album. Loved it. 
Great. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, Will? Yeah, I, I had this as my number two. I think the only reason I put ranking above it is because uh, I thought that my love of the studio version of this song may have been shading it. So I thought I might need to measure it by putting it at number two. But yeah, this this version, the the electric version on satellites, this version of Counting Crows with Ben on drums is absolutely like my favorite little encapsulation of what was, you know, the potential for the band. And I think that I've always thought with this version that it was really smart. Most bands, when they kind of go for that, we're going to turn this electric barn burner into an acoustic version. They usually signal it by slowing the song down. Like that's the conventional go-to move. But I, I think that the changes that they made in their instrumental performances on this one kind of make people think it's slower than it actually is. It's actually tempo wise is not where they drastically changed it. It's in how they all, you know, approach their instruments. Again, a little bit of what I said to the previous one, but um, I think the key is really what Charlie's doing on the accordion, but especially Ben, once again, on that little broken down drum set, you listen to his drums on the studio version and it is the most like beautifully pounding, like give it to me in my face uh, drum performance. And then in this one, he doesn't drastically take it down, but he but he changes how he's playing the the kick and the snare again, since he's playing his kick with his hand this time. Um, yeah, it's just I love that that change from the full throated catharsis that I love so much on the album version, which, again, is probably my favorite Counting Crow song to this storyteller's version that's a little more relaxed and there's reflection and, and it's more about the resolve of what he's singing about than this like declaration that's on the album. So yeah, th- this, the album version is probably my most listened to song of theirs from satellites. And this acoustic version is definitely the one that if I'm ever going to go to across a wire just for like one song to, you know, hear and then go listen to something else. Like this one always hits perfectly every time I put it on. Absolutely love it. All right, Chris, and we'll end our uh, VH1 portion of of the podcast with you. Even though you had it lower ranked uh, than it, us, we'll still end with you. Yeah, no, well, and then I had it no, at number five, and this is where I talked about from like three to six of like, have you seen me lately? Rain King, this and Catapult. I think all of them are really, I'm very close. I, I will say that to me, the testament of this song, you know, I'll I'll listen. I'll if they they put a new show up on Nugs, I'm going to listen to it, and you know, if it's the fourth show they've put up this week. Pretty good chance I'm skipping Omaha. Fourth time of the week, I'm I'm okay. But they played Angels of the Silences pretty much every show once they started playing it this summer. They they played it and I never skipped it. It's so the way they play it and the way the arrangement this summer was basically this arrangement. It's beautiful and particularly call out like the harmonies on the bridge part, the I dream of Michelangelo when I'm it, it's really beautiful, like harmony vocals. In a way that the band's, I think, great harmony singers, but that may be like one of the best encapsulations of how good they can be, like singing harmony together. Adam's always talking about like them singing Start Again together. These guys singing that together is like always, Mm -hmm. always perfect. Mm -hmm. And so, again, a wonderful, wonderful rearrangement that, you know, even though I had a fifth, really kind of no argument, I think it works as an absolutely as a a number one song for, uh, for this record. Absolutely. Well, th- th- thanks so much. Uh, so we've spent 
whatever, 80, 85% of this podcast going uh, mostly over the VH1 storytellers disc, because quite frankly, that's probably the disc that people are thinking when they say Across the Wire is my favorite Crows album for some people, or, or they think about it because it's so unique. But we do not want to ignore the second disc uh, live from 10 Spot. So what we're going to do for this is just go one by one. And I think all of us have some notes or general thoughts about it. And uh, so we'll just um, end this last part of the podcast of doing that. So let's go. Well, let's start off with Ryan. Uh, your your thoughts or notes or observations about the live from the 10 Spot. So I... I... I kind of boiled it all down to one word after listening back to this whole thing a couple of times. Um, and it's the word is energy. The energy in this show is is off the charts. And this I've had such a good time and I love this band so much. And I've been enjoying you guys with Sullivan Street so much. that I'm like, oh, I hope maybe they'll invite me back. And I'm about to say something that might get me banned forever. But <laughs> It's my honest, my honest opinion as a Counting Crows super fan who sees them every time they come through town, and it's that we don't get this energy anymore. And I get that they're they're sixty year old guys now, so like I totally understand the human element of it. And and I would say the trade off has been that their musicianship is way better now. Like not that they were slouches in in nineteen ninety seven, but you know the 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 craft has been refined through thousands of shows over many decades but boy the energy in this the have you seen me lately soars on that 10 spot disc round here is always just such an emotional journey on uh, on in any sort of you know concert setting and then i love how adam in during a murder of one implores the crowd get the hell up he's just he's just really <laughs> You know, he's letting it all out, uh, just leaving it all on the stage with this with this performance. And so I, I just had a had a ball listening back to this again, to this era of, of Counting Crows, having, you know, just seeing them live here in the Bay Area once a year, what I, which I've been lucky enough to get to do since they always come back through town. It's sort of their, you know, original that the hatching place of, of Counting Crows. But yeah, it's it was a it was a fun throwback to this higher energy era of the band, and so yeah, I I love this ten spot disc. I mean, the obviously the the set list is 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 what it is. It's for the first two albums, and and I'm sure you guys are going to do reviews of of the subsequent live releases that that kind of work in some stuff from newer albums. But 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 man, yeah, it's one word for this. It's energy. And I mean that with the highest of compliments with, with this, uh, with this live from the 10 spot. Great. Thanks so much. Uh, Jeff, let's go to you. Yeah. I mean, basically the, the same thing. It's really fun to hear the, the more stripped down earlier version of the group uh, with fewer instruments and you just have all of the, the raw energy. And in some ways the, the songs can come out even more as a result of that. You know, for me, this is the disc I'm going to put on if I'm going to if I'm going to uh, grab uh, this disc off of the shelf. I don't I don't have discs on shelves anymore. But um, <laughs> if, if I did have this disc on a shelf and I was going to pull out the CD, I'd put this one on for sure. I always like the rock the rock show better, and uh, this is just a, a great song list, a, a set list rather, a great selection of songs. I, I like um, 
uh, you know, like the children in bloom, the version of that is really good. Uh, the version of Sullivan street is awesome. So yeah, to me, I mean, I, I think again, you're talking about like, what is the strategy here? Why are they releasing these two albums? Well, this one's just as important. They're sort of showing you that we do these two, you know, very different things. We can take these songs and we can flip them and do them a lot of different ways. But we have this very sort of powerful, you know, rock band here that we we can pull out at any time. The one of the things that I noticed seeing them on the last tour, and maybe this is a point that Ryan was making too, was just, man, this band has gotten so good. Like the band has gotten good. And I don't think they used to be that good. I don't think they were as good. And like, they are so good now. Like they can just move, you know, like they can bring it up down, you know, take it all over the place now in ways that um, I don't think you even could, they were doing at this point, but in some ways just hearing that youthful, like young, uh, recovering the satellites to her band is awesome. This is them, you know, sort of at the end of the road, but they still sound, you know, like they're, they're, they're into it. So yeah, I, 10 out of 10 for me. Great. Let's go to you, Will. Yeah. A lot of what I love has already been said. I think that the, the way that they crank it to 11 on, on this album doesn't, doesn't feel like that it is somehow just like some sort of anomaly or anything like that, you know, we're kind of more towards one than the other. It really feels like two sides of an equally impressive coin of, we can do both things really, really well. Uh, especially when you look at the songs that do appear on both discs and how the different versions that, that they appear in. Um, yeah, I really love angels of the silences and, and the almost 10 minute version around here. Both of those are incredible. I even love how Sullivan street, which is kind of a laid back song. The back half of that on this 10 spot show has so much into it, which I think is really cool. Cause the, you know, regular August version, the way he's singing with Maria McKee on that, it almost, she's so powerful and so high up in the mix that it almost feels like a duet on August. And he's somehow able to recreate that impressive energy live with just one vocal, which I think is wildly impressive the only two things that i don't like about the album are both things that were just incredibly uh indicative things that were that would happen at every live show if you ever went to in the 90s which is during raining in baltimore there's always some knucklehead in the crowd that screams during the silences no matter what band it is but especially during this one you're just like ma'am please like the first one fine but it's literally like takes over the whole track. Uh, and then, yeah, as you kind of already mentioned in a murder of one, uh, if you were to play a drinking game with every time he says, get up like forced audience participation was a very big thing in the nineties. But, uh, I was like, I'll give you one, get up Adam. But you know, if, if you were to take a shot, every time he says it, you would, uh, not be straight eyed by the end of the song. <laughs> but yeah, those are very minor, uh, very, very minor quibbles to a really incredibly impressive, um, companion piece. I think that both of these albums together, they're really incredible to be enjoyed on their own. And the songs are incredible to be enjoyed on their own. Uh, but as a whole, as a co cohesive two sides of a band kind of, in my opinion, at their like creative emotional conduit prime, um, 
is just really happy. I'm so I'm so happy we have this album. I'm going to be even more happy if we one day get a vinyl version of it, and even triple happy if that vinyl version also if they finally put these out, uh, both versions on you know like Blu-ray or something as well. Because I think that being able to revisit them visually uh, would be incredible and worth it. I, and, and we'll go to Chris and I'll and I and I do and I am happy. I guess I don't know, selfish or give. I do like how how much passion, and I, and that's how they ended up in these episodes. Besides their journalistic background that Will and Ryan have for this album, and I'm glad that they could memorialize their thoughts about them. I really appreciated your um, observations, uh, and that you could have in the official Across the Wire Sullivan Street episode that will be I don't know, not time immemorial, but a long time hopefully. Uh, Chris, let's uh, our our bootleg and live music expert, Chris Miggs. What are your thoughts on their official real bootleg release? The real, you know, that was available for sale uh, about uh, 10 spot. Well, I mean, it's interesting. I think one of the interesting things about this record, to Jeff's point about how like kind of like shit kicking this record is and the, the high energy part of it is that, you know, what they cut out is some of the slower stuff, right? They cut Anna Begins from the encore. They cut Omaha and Mr. Jones from the middle, presumably because those arrangements are already on the other disc. They cut um, Goodnight Elizabeth, which was played that night, um, just so they sort of skip past it. And so you really get, like in a show around this time, you would get, you know, mostly this energy with the sort of stripped down piece of it. Whereas here, this disc is really just all kind of all killer and, and kind of all high energy. I think Adam, the interesting thing, like again, thinking about how many shows they played, and that this is the again the ending stretch of a tour. I think Adam sounds really fantastic on this mm-hmm. disc. Like it's really like all of these performances. He sa- his voice sounds like really incredible, pretty much all the way through. And that to me was like really the highlight because I I again I hadn't listened to this one in a a while. And I think part of it is that you know I I like the shows from this tour, but they're not they don't tend to be crazy different other than Round Here. They're not really going for it in terms of alts. Like, there's nothing in Elizabeth. There's usually nothing in Rain King besides a line or two. Even Murder of One, which had been sort of a big, long thing on the first tour, is kind of shorter in this one. And so I'd kind of forgotten, like, yeah, like, yeah, they really kick the shit out of every song. And they sound amazing just because you wouldn't necessarily pick this as the tour to listen to, like, 10 shows. It's still pretty great. If you're listening, especially if you're just like picking up one. The other thing I want to call out, I really love Raining in Baltimore. And I love, this is one of the only uh, stretches that they played it. They played it like 10 or 12 times in 97. They played it a couple of times since then. I was lucky enough to be one of them in 2008. It's it's so great. And if there's, there is some video, uh, not interestingly, this didn't make the 10 spot. This got cut. I assume it was, a commercial break, same as Children in Bloom, is also not on the the ten spot set list. But if you go, my favorite version, you can go to. There's a a video. Uh, it's a, the Blockbuster Pavilion, very very nineties name. Um, in somewhere it's called Devore, California. I assume it's just one of those California desert no, towns in the middle. It, no, it's 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 near me. So it's um yeah, it's this it's this it's. 
I guess ju- I guess just officially it's not in the sand. It's kind of like the Highland show that was just in. Uh, it's officially in the San Bernardino, but I guess it's not in the city limits. It's literally just outside. It's very close to. It's one of the little league. Yeah, stadiums or whatever. But yeah, no, it's out here. It's it's uh, on the way to on the way to Vegas, but out here, yeah, yeah. But anyway, you can find there's a there's a full 1997 pro shot, which beautiful performance. And the you can see the what them doing raining in Baltimore, which is really beautiful. It's just Adam and Charlie, and there's this sort of low lighting on stage, and it's just a really one of my sort of favorite like sort of live songs. And that era is uh, I'm glad it's again. I'm glad it's really glad it's captured here for posterity. Hmm. It's so funny that I was going to mention that to the two of you too. This yeah, Cannon Crows Devore, September nineteenth, nineteen ninety seven, and the reason I was going to mention it actually tied into what what Ryan said and and Will as well, which I thought the star of this show was uh, the energy and and murder of one. I, I agree with you because it's you're just not now. Yes, does he say get up a lot? Yeah, you're right, but I still love it because you're never going to see that anymore. Especially in the American audience, you're not going to see these six year olds jumping up and down to murder, murder of one. Mm. Um, and I think, I guess it was in the 2003. I they played murder one, and people were jumping around. But that's like the last time I saw that super high energy uh, to that to that um, song. But anyway, that, that 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 energy is also in the divorce show for murder murder of one as well. Um, yeah, everything I think you said, I yeah, I I didn't know for my notes what was cut out. Chris. And so there definitely was some intentionality of let's keep the harder songs. Now they kept raining in Baltimore and I agree with you. I love that they kept that because they don't really throughout their history. They don't really play that a lot live by itself. If you really look at their overall concert history, but they kept all of their hard songs. They have angels and have you seen me lately? And you get that juxtaposition from the first disc, but they also had children in bloom and I'm not sleeping. And, when I when I hear those, I always thought of those as companion. Just like Jeff, you always thought of those angels and have you seen me lately as companion pieces. I always thought Children in Bloom and I'm Not Sleeping as companion pieces. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget. I mentioned her once on this show, a not so great ex, who in that 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 time also she was the one that I mentioned in a previous episode as saying to me, "Oh, I heard Cannon Crows stink live, but I do like August." And then I thought about breaking up with her soon after. The, the other thing is I, re, I was, I had a road trip with her and we, and she, because she knew I liked them, she allowed me right to play the across the wire double disc. And then when it got to, I'm not sleeping, which is what now track nine of the second disc. And it does. And I just think it's interesting that in that they kept the two, you know, those are not radio friendly songs and I'm not sleeping in particular has a bit of cacophony in it. Right. Where they kind of, it's like, and I just remember she's like, I've had enough with counter crows. When I'm not <laughs> sleeping again. That was her final strike. I think, but, but, but my point is that I love that these are in, and I do think that Adam a little bit has a part of him that people, I could be wrong, but I think some of recovering. And I know he said he always wanted another, uh, a guitar and he likes having the three guitars now. But there is a part of me that is thinks he's so proud of their, their first song and so proud of Storyteller. But he he wants people to know he can do he can do hard raging rock when he wants to. And I do agree, Ryan. That's why I think 1492 and Cowboys and some of those other songs on Saturday nights came up. And he's like, hey, I can I can do this. I'm not just Mr. Raining in Baltimore and sappy. <laughs> what, what did you call him? Will Sadamy. Adam Durrett. Adam Durrett. Adam Durrett. So anyway, but 
Yeah, I, the and I because I didn't realize why Mr. Jones uh, wasn't there. But my only my only negative thought about this um, is, in, in my opinion, um, Chris, you can tell me if I'm wrong. I didn't think the sound quality was is the best. Like, like, like I don't know if it feel like it to me. It didn't sound like it came from the board like some of the other ones do. But I I could be totally off on on that. I mean, it's certainly from a board. I mean, I don't know how. I mean, it was mixed for TV. Maybe the and I don't mix, know, I guess. I don't know to what extent they had planned that this would be a release in advance. And so sometimes it's possible, <laughs> speaking as someone who's just been reading a lot about Grateful Dead live recordings over the last year, you know, there's like good and there's like a, it's a board recording and it sounds good enough versus I'm recording it in enough channels and with the intentionality of mixing it later. And yeah. I don't, especially with something like storytellers, you almost assume they would because that's taped and they would have been thinking about that. Maybe they weren't thinking about that at quite the same level for, um, not that it would be recorded at like two track or something, but like, you know, I don't, I don't know to what ability they had to manipulate it maybe quite the same way they had with, with storytellers. And again, it's a, oh. a harder thing to mix, right? It's a bigger, you know, the, the, the full band. Oh, two. Yeah. Thank you. No, two super quick observations actually, which would just be the first and final track of this, which is that if you think about, it, I think the fact of playing recovering the satellites, which is, I think it just showed what they still like to do. We're playing these. I mean, it's such a counting crow song to start with, right? Like it wasn't a single on recovering the satellites. It's not a poppy song. It's not from August at all. And he's just like, we're going to start with recovering. Are you with me or not? And, and didn't one of the liner notes say something like about, you know, when the VH1 guy said, I think he said something like he was surprised how, you know, at this uh, stage of their popularity, maybe by the time they saw this out, this uh, concert, the fans did know all the lyrics to recovering the satellites because they were that popular then. And then, of course, ending, which I know they did a lot, um, but ending with Walk Away. And I, I love A Holiday in Spain, but of course, it's become a bit of a cliche. And um, ending with Walk Away's made me feel a little nostalgic, too, to that to that era. Yeah. So it's a great ender. It's a great. I mean, again, I get it. But, you know, with Holiday in Spain. And Ryan, uh, one more uh, I, thought from you. Before just a, a, your random observation re- reminded me of a random observation of, of <laughs> listening back through this. Is when you when you know the context that this was originally aired on MTV, it's funny now when you hear that Adams clearly intentionally for television, sort of like muffling the profanities in the songs where he's like, and oh, I'm not yeah. sleeping. Or he's like, I've got all this to say. <laughs> yeah. It happens a few different times. And it's like, you know, if you were listening to it without that context of like, why, what, what happened there? Did he just forget the lyric? And like, no, it was, it was for broadcast cable and <laughs> basic cable and, and he, he, I'm sure some producer told or somebody told him he had to, he had to, you know, cut it out on the, on the four letter words. <laughs> I was going to it's Lost the it. most obvious one where it's just sort of like, he sort of gibberishes his way through it. He doesn't change the word. He like coolly like starts it and something yeah. in his brain. He's like, fuck, this is on TV. <laughs> and he's like, shit, I can't say shit. Shit, I can't say shit. And he just sort of like, like he just sort of like, but he does his way yeah. through some syllables that sound. It's it's interesting to hear because it's not. You're in, right. Interestingly, on and they must have just beeped it or something. But on the Mister Jones version, he just he says fuck, right? I mean, he says, but they must oh. have just 
again, knowing there where they can, it's a, it's a taped show. Well, and and in the, um, in, in the bits of, of crowd banter that we do get on the recording, mm. he's like, woo, I'm fucking tired. And it's like, was maybe that was just cut out of TV. I, 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 I don't know, but it is kind of weird that some of it's in there and then some of it's clearly not. That's funny. Speaking of which we've, Right, we've we we we've um, had had more profanities in this episode than we've had in any of the past of <laughs> Sullivan Street. Uh, so thanks so much. What a great what a great group here. I will end with Jeff. Please plug your book again and plug anything else you want to. Yes, Rain King: The Life and Music of Adam Duritz and Kenny Crows is available uh, as an audio book, paperback, hardcover, everywhere fine books and less than fine books are sold. <laughs> but thanks so much. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I was just going to say, I do have a, a new book that'll be out uh, real, real soon. And I'm very excited about it. So probably by the next, uh, by the next episode of Sullivan street, I think you'll, we'll have a new one. It'd be exciting. Matt cool. And well, we, and we love having you on the show. We look forward to bringing the Desert Life Show and, and other future. No, we really do. I, I, I really appreciate you being a regular guest on the podcast. Ryan, let's go to you and what um, and anything you want to plug or how can people uh, follow you and your podcast? Sure. I Yeah, I, I first of all, I was so happy when I saw on Reddit that you guys had started this podcast because I because I'm a person that likes to make podcasts about things I love. And I was almost like, oh, I wish I'd start. What, what a great idea. I wish I had, I had thought to do it. <laughs> and you guys have been doing such a great job here. Uh, so totally not music at all. But uh, one of the things I'm super interested in is electric cars and specifically Teslas. And believe it or not, I do a weekly Tesla podcast. And yes, there is there is always a lot to talk about around that company. Uh, I've been doing it for over eight years. So if you're curious, uh, just Google Ride the Lightning Tesla, because the name of it's Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast. In hindsight, I should have just gone with a more SEO friendly thing like the Tesla podcast, but I got a, the, the writer in me got a little too cute with it. But um, so I, I do that. Those come out every Sunday. And then like I, I think I might have mentioned earlier, my day job, uh, I talk video games and make stuff about video games for IGN.com. So just and- real, I really appreciate you guys having me. This was this was a real thrill for me. Oh, it was so much fun. Thank you. And Will, let's please, uh, I know people can find you on Twitter and other, please, please uh, let us know. Yeah, yeah. I uh, Like I said earlier, I'm the zine editor at Bandbox, so definitely check out uh, Bandbox for all your fine uh, vinyl represses with artist-specific zines that we have a lot of fun writing. Uh, you can also find my own writing at places like No Depression, and uh, I think my most recent piece at Spin Magazine was about the 1983 Night Rider Christmas song. So be sure mm. to check that out for complete randomness. Um, but yeah, if you uh, want to follow my writings, I've, I've not really anchored in one place. So uh, my Twitter's will underscore Hodge. Uh, that's H O D G E. And I'll call it Twitter and not X until the day I die. So because <laughs> I'm a contrarian 90s Gen Xer. So. Uh, but yeah, thanks for having me on. This has been a really incredible uh, chat, not only about. Uh, the crows, but this specific era of the crows that uh, I dig so much. So it's been quite a fun time talking with all of you guys. No, it's great, and thank you to the to the, our listeners and the community. It, it, it keeps growing, and that's why we've had uh, such great guests as the the three we have on today. So we have all sorts of exciting future podcast plan in twenty twenty four. Chris and I. So keep listening to Sullivan Street. See you next time. Thank you. Oh,